Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. Standing by the podcast. Hi, I'm Terry DeMonte. That's uh, Ted Bird. The uh, Standing by podcast uh, gives me something to do since I was retired uh, two years ago. Almost get out. Yep. (laughs) There's the door. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> happy retirement. Let me get your stuff. Yeah, thanks for that. 45-year uh, stellar Hall of Fame career. Uh, see ya. Uh, so the podcast is a nice uh, sideline project uh, for me, Ted. So I appreciate you supporting the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it also helps me to pay my bills. Okay. So it's win-win. Yeah, good. <laughs> something for you to do, and yeah. something I have to do. <laughs> it's um, it's something we still love to do, and, and uh, as you've seen my posts on social media. Uh, you know how much I enjoy doing it and how much I miss doing it. So this is uh, this is a, a nice distraction for me. Um, it is brought to you by a number of longtime supporters. And we want to start by saying thank you to David Drucker. David Drucker is a man that Ted and I met when he was in one of his uh, uh, startup businesses probably 30 years ago. Uh, Ted and I used to always get our cell phones from David. I still have the same cell phone number. Do you really? The same phone number from the original <laughs> phone that David gave to me. He Excuse gave me. me a promotional line. Well. And I still have the same number. It's when, never changed. When I mentioned uh, uh, at a lunch to David Drucker that we were going to have a podcast and we would like to, uh, we were looking for a title sponsor, he said, well, I'm the king of the UPS Store Canada and we would like to be your title sponsor. And we're deeply grateful <clears throat> Pardon me. If you don't know about, <clears throat> sorry about that. You don't know about the UPS Store Canada. It is a locally run, locally owned business in your community. <clears throat> so if you're a uh, small business owner that runs a business out of home, you probably already know about the UPS Store Canada. Um, if you order a lot of stuff from Amazon and you're never home, you may already know about the UPS Store Canada. Um, if you uh, have documents to shred or uh, long-time family heirlooms that you need to ship across the country, you may have already visited a UPS store. They can handle just about everything for you. They can shred documents. They can organize passport photos. They can pack your stuff, ship your stuff, print your documents. Anything that pertains to uh, getting your business moving or your household moving UPS Store Canada can handle it. And like I said, there's an entrepreneur in that store, uh, just like you, uh, trying to run that business to help you run your business. There are 370 locations across the country, and you can find one in a community close to you. Our thanks to the UPS Store Canada. Go to the theupsstore.ca. We have... Madam President with us today. Yes, we do. Yes. Yes, for a change, Ter, uh, you're not the prettiest one in the room. 
It's uh, it goes uh, me <coughs> and then me. you and then uh, our guest Eleanor Noble and then Poseidon of course is the prettiest but uh, Eleanor is the second prettiest person <laughs> in the room today and uh, I shouldn't I should not objectify her like that because nope. she's an accomplished young lady she is a Canadian actress based out of Montreal she is the national president of Actra. I know the acronym, but I don't know the. Uh, if I tried to say the association, the, the alliance, alliance of, of Canadian cinema, television, radio <laughs> artists. She's yeah. She's the national president of that, and she is a rescuer of uh, wiener dogs, <laughs> and she is currently bereaved. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Eleanor, thanks for being with us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having We're me. We have some fascinating conversation, I think, today about performing in the arts and. Uh, the uh, performing arts community across the country. I want to start with this. I'm curious as to why anybody would want to be president of an association so big. Right? But why? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like she's asking herself that question. (laughs) Some days you do. What was I thinking? (laughs) Some days you do. But uh, but why wouldn't you be? Why why wouldn't you want to be president of of, uh, a union as mighty and great as ACTRA? I love the aspect of negotiating. So that Ah, was one of the first things that really uh, inspired me to want to run. I thought, hmm, I'd like to be at the helm of that. Wow. So that was uh, one thing. And um, wanting to really unite the country in a way that we'd never done really before. As an acting community, you mean? As an acting community, making us actress strong across the country. Uh, which we were, but we're also autonomous branches, and I just wanted to see, even though we have autonomy in each of the branches, branches that we could uh, unify ourselves even more. And it's more—it's really important more than ever now. So I think so too. I, I actually was confused when I moved out to BC because I'm a longtime ACTRA ne- uh, member, and when I moved to UBC, it's ACTRA slash UBCP. UBCB. UBCP. UBCP. Yeah. And what what is that? <laughs> Is it? Is it? Union of British Columbia okay. performers. And is that what you're talking about? That you you want to unify that or that we have unified. Okay. So that was a a, a break off many decades ago uh, that took place in BC, and then um, through the 80s, uh, the end of the 80s, early beginning of ni- the 90s, uh, they worked very hard at bringing them back to Actra, and so now they they have the two acronyms, but they are very much. Actor members and uh, and we work together and we're very united. So we're can very you happy to can you talk about what I I I, I I not that I was forced to join Actra, but in my thirties I I scored a really good gig with the CBC uh, in CBC Television. I was hosting a children's show called Switchback at the time, and the executive producer said to me, "You know, we got to get you into Actra." And Actra at the time was notoriously difficult to join it was really really tough to get in and yeah. i said i don't know how you're going to do that but i guess the cbc who had a regional show probably had somebody on speed dial that they could call and i became a member of the union and i began to realize how important it was um as a performer because as the longer i was in actor and the longer i was in in a business where performing was part of it the more i understood uh, how much performers are taken advantage of. Absolutely. And and I know that if you're listening to the podcast, you're thinking, 
Oh, shut up with your microphone and your easy job. But it really was true. Performers were getting, and I remember in Montreal in the 1980s and 90s, businesses would pay announcers 50 bucks or 60 bucks to go read a commercial. Yeah. And I remember my first actor job for reading a commercial. And not only was the rate so much higher, but every 13 weeks, another check would turn up in my mailbox. Right. And I thought, <clears throat> why is this happening? And then I began to learn <clears throat> that that's, that's what that service was worth. That's Absolutely. what a performer should be paid to do those things. Absolutely. And that's why I became this you know, real supporter of ACTRA. And uh, the reason I'm telling that story is I want people to understand why it's important that actors, riggers, you know, lighting people, radio announcers, television presenters, why is it important? that they are a member of the union and the union protect them. Yeah, well, we started off with a dollar a holler <laughs> and worked yeah. our way up from there. But yeah, it's to protect members from not being exploited. So if you're selling a product, let's say, and you're doing a radio spot, um, you wouldn't want them to use your radio spot for eternity without any pay. Right. A uh, little cut of their massive profits. So, yes, we work in, in cycles, and they purchase cycles, and then they repay you. They don't have to bring you back into studio, but they're going to repay you for that. And you get a pension and benefits uh, so that you can live <laughs> and support a family in some, in some instances, and, um, and, and you're given a proper wage. So it may seem high up front, but we are precarious workers. We're the original gig workers. Yeah. And so when there's that kind of instability, we get a proper pay that is reasonably balanced with how you can earn a livelihood. That's a, That was something else I didn't understand. I remember um, uh, Daintree, God lover. Mm -hmm. Daintree was at Montreal Actor for many years. She's still alive. She's and just retired. Yeah, yeah, she's just retired. <laughs> and, and she called me one day and she said, uh, you've let your dues lapse. Ooh. And I said, well... You know, I'm not doing anything anymore. My TV gigs are over, and I don't get any radio gigs. Keep paying them, man. And she said, uh, don't you want your pension? Mm -hmm. And I said, I have a pension? <laughs> and she said, yeah, you're going to have to pay, a, you know, I think I paid a fine and whatever and got my dues back in order. Yeah. And that pension today, after 30-plus years, is quite, you know, it's, uh, I can't buy a mansion or anything, but. It's something. Uh, yeah, it's something, and it's contributing to my retirement. Yeah. I did, uh, and this is where I met Eleanor, actually. I did the commercials. I was the English voice for Renault Depot in Quebec for about 15 years. And uh, I don't, I, I haven't looked at my pension. I don't know what it is, and I haven't done those commercials since COVID was the end of that. Yeah. And I knew it was over. I was telling Terry this story the other day. I knew it was over because they used to have, we'd go in for the recording session. There would be the French guy. There would be me for Renault Depot, and then there would be an English guy for Rona because they're owned by the same company. Right. And then one day during COVID, I heard him go, now available at Rona and Renault Depot. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's the end of that. <laughs> it's a good run. <laughs> As it happens, but, which yeah. is why we put all those protections in place so that you have something anyway. Yeah, I keep paying my dues when they come yeah. up. Every I haven't done a, I haven't had an actor gig in, in no, over three either. years, but I no. keep paying the dues. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. a member in good standing, yeah. as they very say. Very good. You and yeah. me both. Very good. Comedians are notoriously underpaid. 
is there is there a crossover there? Do you have uh, comedians in Actra? And if there, and I'm sure that you do uh, have Actra members who who part of the what they do is stand up comedy. Can they do a stand up comedy? Gig? Does that violate union regulations? If no, they go and, and... and that would actually, I don't really know the specifics of doing a stand-up on the stage. I don't know if they require to be any kind of equity, because equity is the theater right. union. Um, I, I actually... If I put you on the spot, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you because, put me on the spot. Because, First question, well, you, you know? Talk, you talk about a group that needs a union. Yeah. I The first time I ever did stand-up comedy... If they I, do television spots, they would be protected yeah. under the union. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did five minutes as an opener at the Comedy Works on Bishop Street in 1990 for $25. Last Christmas, Christmas 2022, over the holidays, uh, I was one of the openers at the Comedy Nest at the, uh, at the old forum. Right. $25. Yeah. yeah. Exactly the same amount as as 32 years previously. Yeah. Wow. Comedians need Well, if it. they were filming it to be televised, yeah. then you would fall under an actor contract. Okay. Well, For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious also, and I, I know the population at, at large probably doesn't know this, Eleanor, but as a member, I'm aware of it. Recently, Actra has been in a struggle with some really big businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy's comes to mind, and there's a few other ones that go ahead and name them if you like. Um, and my understanding is these advertising, tell me if I got this right, advertising agencies who run the advertising campaigns of these massive, massive corporations don't want to pay actor performers anymore. Correct. They, they want to use scabs. Correct. So we have a national commercial agreement, which we refer to as the NCA. Right. And when we went into negotiations with two entities, the Institute of Canadian Agencies and the uh, Alliance of Canadian Advertisers, sorry, it's because ICA and the ACA, uh, they they wanted to have an option of opting in and opting out of using actor members, which is a non-starter. So we said, no, you work with us. We've had a partnership for 60 years. And we'll continue our partnership under this collective agreement and let's start negotiating and making improvements and doing whatever we need to do. But they weren't interested, so they walked away from the table and locked us out. So basically, the advertising agencies, you've gotten that right, uh, have refused to work with ACTRA members, though they claim that they're very open to working with ACTRA members. They love working with ACTRA members, but they'll decide how they want to pay us. Right. And, and sometimes they might pay us the wages that we had under the NCA, and sometimes they won't. And sometimes they'll use non-union, and sometimes right. they won't. So uh, that that we absolutely stand by our 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 belief that our, not our belief, but what we what we have is a collective agreement, and we want them to come back to the table to sit down and negotiate with us properly and use uh, actor members. They make extremely high profit <gasps> margin, extremely high profit margin. So it's not a matter of cost because we are a very tiny portion of their budget, a very tiny portion of their budget. Uh, the brands, it's the brands, Wendy's, uh, H&R Block, um, uh, Home Hardware, Canadian Tire, Sleep Country, yeah. uh, who are using advertising agencies who have locked us out. Right. So we have been campaigning for a boycott to these brands so that they can have awareness, because we don't know how aware they are, but they better be aware now, 
that they are using advertising agencies that are using non-union performers. And we want them to either change agencies using an agency that are signatories with our agreement or get their advertising agency to become signatories once again to our agreement and use union members. What precipitated this? Is it, was this, was this the, the new, it's very fashionable now at companies everywhere all across North America to slash and cut and try and drive profits as high as you can drive them um, no matter how many jobs you lose or how shitty the wages are that you pay. Was that what precipitated this, that advertising agencies decided that the billion dollars that they were making every year wasn't enough and, mm. and it was time to pick the pockets of the guys that read the commercials? There's an interesting fact that North America is the last place pretty much on earth that is using union members in advertisement. Okay. And so they're after that. So it's because they want to just take away the jurisdiction. They did it in the UK. They did it in Australia and they're coming after us. And then if they break us, which they won't, then they'll try to attempt it in the US. But how were they able? How were they able to do it in those other places? What's the internet? I can, you can, you and I can go online tomorrow and um, uh, not apply, but But make an audition, make a demo, make a demo, or you can go on some websites and they'll say, we're looking for voice announcers for these five different radio ads. And you can read them and submit them. And then they decide what they're going to pay you. And it's like 10 cents a word or a dollar a sentence or whatever it is. Yeah. It's peanuts is what it and, is. And they just lost their jurisdiction. You know, they couldn't get to an agreement and the advertisers took over. And that was that for them. So there's no legal recourse there? Well, I don't have all the details on the UK and the and Australia, but I understood. Um, I mean, but, but but for you, if you can't come to an agreement with that, with them, is there a point where uh, well, where right lawyers now, get involved, or are for, they already for sure? Because the the ICA has claimed that we don't have a collective agreement, and so that dispute is in front of the Ontario Labor Board right now uh, to determine that we have uh, a big fat book that deter- that that says we have sixty years of a partnership. And that's a collective agreement. Um, there has been some complaint, and we all agree that the agreement became quite complicated. So we've worked diligently over the last year to simplify and modernize it. So it's amazing what our staff has done to make it user-friendly, which it never really was before, um, which the advertisers love. When they saw it, they were like, this is fantastic. And so we're hoping that the advertising agencies uh, bite into that and want to come back to the table with us because uh, that was a lot of work that was overdue. And so now it's it's user-friendly, and uh, we are very proud of that work. So, yeah, I forget the original part of the question that you asked me. I was just asking you if there if, if – Legal repercussions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it is in, in, with the Ontario Labor Board right okay. now. Are you, are you in there banging on the table and saying, listen? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you part of I, it? I'm not in there at the moment. <clears throat> no. I may be there eventually. Yeah. We go back in the fall. Uh, those dates are out of our hands. That's right. what they uh, – the Ontario government decides to get us in there, la- the Labor Board. So, uh, yes, there may be times where I will be called in. But I'm certainly at the negotiating table when we are at the negotiated table, banging the table hard. Got you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm curious, does ACTRA have an involvement in trying to help draw productions to the city? Absolutely. Really? How do you, how do you go about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, we go down to L.A. and we meet with all the <coughs> studios and we tell them 
what a great city we have right. and what incredible crews we have and what incredible, unbelievable creme de la creme talent we have in this city to come up and produce film and television. And uh, we do hear sometimes once in a while concerns about our politics here. And we assure them that there's many, many people in the city who speak without a French accent. And if they would like more international sounding, we've got plenty of people who have slight accents as they do anywhere in the world. Yeah. So I think eventually we'll make some progression on, on uh, getting rid of, uh, you know, phobia against accents. Um, because I don't know any place in the world where anybody can go where there aren't so a slew of accents. There are Hollywood so. directors that think everybody talk like that. Mm, yeah, really? there is a perception, <clears throat> and so we assure them that that is not a true perception. Yeah. and then they're related. And then <clears throat> the second question right. is, uh, can we get around? Because there's so much construction right. in <laughs> Montreal, and as we know, that's a shared. <laughs> yeah. Our reputation follows us everywhere. Seriously, wow. yeah. Everybody knows about the construction in Montreal. But we assure them that, no, we can work with them to make sure that there's a, an easy path for everybody to get to work and that uh, they will have availability of places to do remarkable shots. And we're very want. good at closing streets. Yes, so we can we're help very good. Yeah. Yeah. We have so many extra orange cones <laughs> to put up. To, yeah. So does yeah. the level of Hollywood activity in, in Montreal sort of wax and wane? Are Absolutely. There, yeah. yeah, and it depends. It depends what they're producing and where they want to go. So that's the nature of the beast. But we're always happy to welcome them here and also to create you know, Canadian productions. We have a great... We that we do that great on the French side, mm -hmm. and we need to do that more on the English side across the country. You've um, you've taken on uh, quite a task as the national president of, of ACTRA. How much has that bitten into your time that you would have otherwise spent uh, with the performing aspect of your career? I do both. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it can be a bit of a heavy, tight schedule yeah. at times, but I managed to work it out. Uh, I've only lost one or two gigs where I absolutely had to be in Toronto and couldn't swing it to be back here. But for the most part, um, people have been very accommodating and understanding and have been flexible with my schedule. So are you but auditioning still and Absolutely. Everything? Really, eh? Wow, yep. that's, that's got to be... In the middle of meetings and getting wow. on planes and driving around wow. and doing all of that stuff, I sure am. And you know what? You want your national president to be on the ground. Yeah. You want your national president yeah. to be working, and you want your national president to be able to speak yeah. from a point of experience. Does your reputation precede you now as the national president of ACTRA yeah. when you go for an audition? I get a little nervous sometimes in the audition room for commercials when my friends are like, it's the president. I'm like, no, we're in a dispute. I'm like, I don't know if they made the connection yet. The president's on set. Yeah. And then they, they wait after my audition and apologize to me. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. They keep, was, they is that how you got so. started, Eleanor? Your background was you started as a performer? I, start, I went to theater school. Uh -huh. I went to Dawson College. I attended the Dome Theater, uh, so I did. That was a three-year professional theater program, and uh, and then I I was out of the gate before before I even graduated. I got cast in Are You Afraid of the Dark, which was my first gig and my first actor credit, oh. and then I got into animation pretty much right away out of that, and uh, yeah, that was it. I got an agent right away, and that's fantastic. And did you ever have any, I've asked all the performers we've had on, did you ever consider leaving the city, moving either to Toronto or Los Angeles? 
I did, and I did all of that. You did? Oh, I you did, did make the move. Oh. I'm, yes, yeah. I made many moves. Wow. In fact, when I was uh, 21 years old, I hopped on a... Back then, <laughs> theater was still a prominent way to earn a living. Way, way, way back. And uh, I was probably at the cusp of how it kind of changed a little bit. But uh, I hopped on a bus by myself, and I stopped in every city that I could wow. going west and auditioned at all the theaters and then got work out of that and lived in Vancouver for a while. And then I came back, and I lived in Toronto for a while. And then I ended up working a lot in Montreal. So I was like, well, I'm hitting that 401 an awful lot. So how about I just reestablish myself back home that was fantastic. And then I landed a television series, which was great, called The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu with Pat Morita. He was in wow. that. And I played Shelby Wu's best friend. And, uh, and so, yes, so I continued my career here. And then, um, and then I thought I was doing, uh, after I finished that television series, I was doing a lot of uh, voice work for animation, dubbing, all of that. And then I had one of those existential crises going, I went to theater school did I go to theater school to become a voice actor or did I go to theater school to become an Oscar winning actor? <laughs> and so I hopped on a plane and spent some time in LA. I did two pilot seasons there. I had a manager there and, uh, and then my father had a heart attack and I, he's fine. He's fine. Good. But, uh, I, I came back home and then I thought I had a lot of time to think in LA and I thought, my gosh, you know, I have so much fun in studio so much fun doing the voice work. I yeah. actually yeah. love what yeah. I do. Yeah. I do get lots of opportunity to do film and television, and I do a lot of stage. And I'm like, I have a really full-rounded uh, career in Montreal. And I'm sitting here in L.A., and if I had all the money in the world, that would be superb. Yeah. But um, when I came home, I was kind of content and at peace with the fact that I could have a full career as an actor right here in Montreal. And I so... I, I think stayed. it's it's great because it runs contrary to the narrative you hear all the time about you got to go to Toronto, you got to be in Toronto, you got to be in New York, you got to be in L.A. You know, if you want to, if you want to, as you point out, have a full rounded experience as a performer, um, Montreal always had the reputation of somewhere you had to leave. That's not true, I guess, anymore. No, and it depends how you go after your career and what you want right. and which angle you want your career. And Toronto is a great, I mean, there's so much production there, but right. you also have a much larger population of performers that you're competing against. Everything is in a ratio, so it balances out here. We have a smaller group of actors and, and a slightly less work, but the opportunities are there. And uh, if you go after it the right way, you can have a full career anywhere. Do you work the French side at all? I don't. No, eh? I don't. Is it different on the, is the, is the French side, like Terry tells a great story about uh, when he worked uh, at Chaume and they were in the same building as a couple of French radio stations. And you told me the story, I think it was you who told me the story about you could tell whether uh, the, a person worked by, uh, for the English or the French side by the car they drove. Mm -hmm. If he went down to the parking garage <laughs> yeah. and there was a Corolla, he works at the English station. Right. Yeah. And there was a Bentley, she yeah. works at the French station. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the budgets and the promotion, uh, the the budgets that they have at Radio Canada, less so at TVA because TVA has been doing a lot of cutting, I understand. But um, the public broadcaster in, in Quebec... I mean, we still watch it out in BC. Their productions are massive and right. huge and have funding that I think in the English broadcasters don't have in Quebec. But you're playing to a, a much su yeah, such a, a much bigger market. And yeah. there's and you've also said, Terry, Quebec has its own 
French star Quebec system. has its own star system. They do. Yeah. They've You're, done a tremendous yeah. job. I mean, really, they are. If if the rest of Canada could do that, yeah. that would be amazing. Yeah. I think we've all always been sort of slightly envious of the French side that they had a star system. They had yeah. their own magazines on the rack. They yeah. had their own. Their own awards. Well, they're their probably own awards, not comparing probably not comparing themselves to the U.S. the way that English Canada does. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I want to I want to tiptoe into uh, some a little bit of political waters. Um, not <laughs> well. I, I just, I'm I'm actually curious. I'd like to have a um, a civilized discussion about a controversial topic, Uh-oh. and that is um, the pursuit of diversity in the arts. Yes, that is a hot potato, high wire act. However, you want to describe it. Yes, because it's controversial on so many levels in terms of casting. Yeah. And in terms of productions, and in terms of the arts itself, some people say, uh, "Do you sacrifice the artistic integrity of a work, a play, a, a movie, because you're trying to pursue diversity in your casting, or do you just let art be art, and there's no, there's no." Um, uh, pursuit of what some people call political correctness. I I know it's um, um, referred to like the CBC is running a commercial right now. Talk you know that that pays tribute to representation, which is important and it's you know something that I think is long overdue being addressed. But what I want to know is at what point does it interfere with somebody's vision for a film for a piece? For you know, for a play, like, do you you know, are we risking our? T- this sounds incredibly. I sound. I'm going to sound like such a douchebag. Are we risking artistic integrity by following down that path? I don't think he sounds like a douchebag. I think it's. I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, absolutely not. Okay. Answering your question. Yes. Not what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Long-winded question, but you know, I like all topics in this arena. I'm tippy toe, tippy toe, yeah. tippy toe. I don't, you know, I don't want to. No, the reality up... is, the reality is, is when you walk, if you live in a multicultural mm-hmm. city like we do here, cosmopolitan right. city, and you know, Toronto, anywhere, um, you you don't just see one type of person. You just don't. Absolutely. So our everyday is diverse. And then what we see on screens or on stage, then all of a sudden gets completely whitewashed for some reason. And then we believe that um, nobody's going to watch these stories unless we make it relatable to you two right. and me. Right. And and that's not true because then we're cutting out an entire population of people that the stories are not relating to because they don't see their re- themselves represented in the stories. It's not a threat to and all of a sudden, film and television going down the tubes because now there's diversity in no, there. But, it makes it more interesting. And look what they did with Hamilton. I haven't seen Hamilton yet, but yeah. um, what they did with that was they switched. Yeah. And we didn't hear anything about that. No, nobody We heard cared. what a great musical nobody it is. Cared. It's won but every award. My, my question is, if a director says, God, I love this guy for this part. This guy would be great in this part. And the casting director says... We don't we don't have enough diversity yet, so we can't give it to that guy. 
we gotta, we're going to have to look for a... Ultimately, that decision is up to the director and it producer. Is. It is. It's not up to the casting. Okay. Casting does their best to provide as much diversity and... As they can. As they can. Right. And to follow what the director and the producer wants. We expect and hope that a casting director is creative enough that when they see 20 roles for white people, that they're starting to suggest people that they know that have the talent and the chops. And there's many, many, many millions of actors across this country uh, who are diverse, who are amazingly talented. That's the thing. And that it, they're it, brought forward and that they're, yeah. the directors and producers uh, see, see them and have that opportunity to to shift and make their, their, their productions uh, better. And how does that... Is is that currently in play? Like if a if a um, uh, a Hollywood production comes up to Montreal and wants to use Montreal because it's a very European looking city and they uh, they're casting local people, are they encouraged or pushed or is there rules that they have to follow in terms of diversity when they cast the production? Absolutely, there, there, is. there is a push. There is a push to to be more diverse. We. Uh, negotiated in our last IPA, which is our film and television agreement, uh, that they had to make best efforts to always broaden the scope in this regard. And uh, one of the things that we just uh, uh, dealt with was we brought a, a hair and makeup grievance to, uh, we, we filed a grievance on hair and makeup and we just won a settlement on it, which is great. So uh, we've been having conversations with producers about diversity and about treatment of diverse actors on set as well. So double-handed. And um, and with this settlement, we will have five days prior to any bargaining where we discuss all of these issues. And it's the education of uh, allowing the producers to know and understand that they need to go in this direction and that it's available for them and that they won't be disappointed once they go. People are ready and they're talented. So, for people who are not in the community, can you explain what a grievance is? Something happened because in, a hair and makeup grievance is not something you no, normally hear yeah. about in labor disputes. So in, in, right. the, in the hair and makeup trailer, something. So transpired. we found out from um, many of our members, um, uh, our our BIPOC members, that when they would get to set, they struggled with the fact that they were not being treated the same way as we would be treated mm -hmm. as white people sitting in the makeup chair and the hair and the hair chair. Uh, so often makeup artists would not have foundations that match their skin tone. Right. Um, the hair people did not have proper equipment or products to deal with different textured hairs. And they, uh, a lot of uh, performers had some terrible experiences where either they looked terrible, had to come to set already made up, um, or had some hair damage or things like that, just horrible, horrible treatment and uh, not being treated equitably when they got to set and being made to feel like they were a problem. And uh, we realized that this was a violation of the Charter of Human Rights to not be treated equitably at work. And so we took to the Labor Board, we filed a grievance against the producers to say you must hire hair and makeup artists who are qualified and prepared and prepared with proper equipment right. to do so. And, and, so and those, those artists exist. Yes, they do. Okay. 
Yes, they do. And we said if they couldn't find them or there weren't enough that they were responsible to make sure that they were that they got the training before they show up on set so that actors are treated equitably once they get there. Eleanor Noble is our guest. She's the president of ACTRA. Um, we um, want to take a moment to thank a couple of more of our supporters. As uh, Ted and I always say on the podcast, I know you're thinking another commercial, but these are people that believe in what we do. And in a, um, a business that's very difficult to break through in, you know, we can't compete with Jason Bateman and Smartless. We can't? Uh, no. Nobody's paying us $80 million They're for not. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can't compete with Joe Rogan. Uh, we, so we have, we have local supporters who have been just terrific. And we have a very surprising, wonderful man who's a supporter of the podcast. We had lunch with him, and and he said, I want to be a, a supporter of the podcast. And I said, what do you do? He said, well, I run a, a, an engineering firm. And I thought, what the hell are you doing sitting having lunch with us, two yeah. knuckleheads? Sean Smith, who's got uh, a brain as big as uh, all outdoors, yeah. and is just the nicest guy you'd ever meet, runs a company called Voswin. Vision to innovation. What is it you say, Ter? He will take an idea from out of your head, head, yeah, and put it in your hands. Yeah, if yes. you have an idea um, for an invention, or if you have an existing business and you have an idea for an innovation uh, within that business, and it has an engineering component, and uh, you don't know how to do it, that's where Sean steps in and his team, and uh, they will take you through the entire process. They will take you through the uh, the development process. Uh, they know how to uh, deal with all the legal ramifications, patents, and and uh, what have you, and uh, the marketing, getting it to market, uh, the whole deal. Uh, they start uh, at the beginning. You tell them uh, your idea, and if it has a mechanical engineering and design component or electrical engineering and design, industrial engineering and design, software development, or all four, uh, they have developed inexpensive packages to help with solidifying your vision and developing requirements. And then they do the CTO thing, Chief Technology Officer. Oh, that. I don't have a Chief Technology <laughs> Officer. Well, we do that too. Voswin yep. does that as well. They they uh, take you through the whole process. And uh, it's so surprising. Sean told us that he's had multiple people call him up and say, I heard uh, those two knuckleheads on the podcast <laughs> talking about your engineering firm, and I thought maybe you can help me out. So uh, we have we have an excellent uh, inventor demographic here. Yes, it's fantastic on, on the podcast. Uh, you can check them out at voswin.com, v-o-z-w-i-n.com, and thank you, Sean, for your ongoing support. And one of the things that uh, is uh, common about all the people that support us um, is our longtime relationship with them, and the fact that we believe in their businesses and what they do, and that's never been more true than it is with the Mersons. Merson Automotive is this is a great story. Well, it's not a great story. It's a tough story for Ted because Ted's car blew up and now he's looking for a, a, a car um, and he's not going to buy a new car. He's going to buy a, uh, what do they call them? They're not used. They're, They're pre-owned. Pre-owned. Yes. He's going to get a pre-owned car. A pre-owned. And when we were coming to the podcast studio this morning, I asked him how the search was going and he said he found something and the first thing you're going to do is take it to Merson, yeah. and Celso's going to put it up on the hoist, and he's going to look underneath, and hopefully he's going to say, yeah, that looks pretty good. Yeah, Make him an offer, because the last time I took one to Celso, 
Uh, he put it up on the hoist and he said, ooh, that girl's, uh, yeah. you want Stay no away. part of that girl. Yeah, she's been on way too many dates. <laughs> <laughs> So I so I did stay away, but uh, yeah, they're they're just the best, the Mersons and Terry and I have been doing business with them and speaking on their behalf for twenty five years, and uh, we speak on their behalf because we believe in them. They're honest people, and uh, they will not sell you uh, anything for your vehicle, a service or a part that you don't need. And above and beyond that, they'll uh, they'll give you a heads up as to when you might need it. Yep. How many times you've been sitting in the waiting room at yep. Merson and, and Charlie will come out from the back and say to Mrs. Hasenfratz, uh, your winter tires are good, but you're probably going to have to start thinking about a new set next season. Uh, and your brakes, you're probably good for uh, another uh, ten to 15,000 kilometers. Yep. Like they'll keep you, they'll keep you abreast uh, in detail as to where you're at with your uh, maintenance requirements. Yeah, and if you're like Ted and I, that get you know our eyes glaze over when you open the hood of a car yeah. and you just don't know anything about it. You want to be able to believe in people and trust them that they're going to do right by you. That's the Mersons. Mersonauto.com. They're on Saint Jacques, west of Cavendish. You can call them up at five one four four eight seven fifty five forty five. And tell Val I say hi. Every time I phone her, she goes, what happened now? (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor Noble is our guest, and it just dawned on me, are we in contravention of our membership by doing a podcast? No. Uh Uh-oh. I thought, holy shit, we could be in trouble. (laughs) No, no. Okay, good. Eleanor, one of the the things people have asked me, you know, fellow... Uh, radio folks over the years is uh, why why is actress so difficult to get into, and ha- or has that changed? It's changed. Okay, it's changed. So uh, yes, when I started, when yeah. you started yeah. six six credits, you had to have six different credits. Then uh, it was we changed a chicken that and to an three. Thing. Yeah, we changed that to to three different credits, and now we're um, looking at it again to see if we can make it even easier. So that is a work in progress. Yeah, because I, I remember you know, like I said, I got in at the grace of the CBC. Um, that was your typical connection thing. But at the time, you had to go find ACTRA-approved work and get Correct. credit for that work, but you couldn't get that work if you weren't a member of ACTRA. So it was... Sort of a catch-22. Yeah, it was a catch-22 a little but bit. But everybody starts as a non-union member, right. and then you you audition, and you audition, and you hope to land that role. Yeah, right. That, uh, you know, producer and director says, yes, I've exhausted looking through all of the actor members and this person is for it. And then you get your first actor credit. And then then you you start your journey as an actor member. I had an experience similar to you. I didn't have any actor credits and I forget which grocery store chain that was back when I used to do Don Scary, my Don Mm -hmm. Cherry imitation on Shome. And they wanted the character for a commercial. And I was not an actor member, but it was an actor gig. And so somebody they, pulled a string somewhere. They facilitated and, yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. that's how I became a member. Yeah. I didn't have any credits. Yay. And, and, yeah. <laughs> Yay, indeed. Yay, yeah. indeed. And thank God, because yeah. that uh, that 15-year run with the Renault Depot, yeah. that's, that's about the only thing I've ever done that's an actor gig. Well, I wish I could get something else. One of my favorite stories is, and I'm, I'm gapping on his name, one of the... Long time Montreal uh, voices owned a studio called Listen Audio. George, thank you, George, George Morris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, told me a story uh, once about um, uh, it was a big beer company, and I think the phrase was Molson keeps on tasting great. He said one year he made sixty thousand dollars from that. 
commercial. Yeah, no doubt. Because it went across the country. It ran every 13 weeks. And envelopes kept turning up in his. And that's when I first got interested in ACTRA. I thought, yeah. what's yeah. this ACTRA business? Yeah. How do I get involved in that? Terry yeah, and I used to joke. nice living. Yeah. Terry and I used to joke about George, uh, God rest his soul. He owned the studio. Yeah. And I can specifically remember going and reading uh, an audition for an Air Canada commercial. And George also read the audition. Yeah. At his studio, yeah. and he got the gig. And yeah. then we, we used to joke <laughs> yeah. about George sitting around his office. Yeah. Wonder who'd be good for yeah. this? Uh, <laughs> oh, I know, me. <laughs> <laughs> These are all very good tapes, yeah. uh, but I like this one. <laughs> yeah. But he wouldn't make the call. I don't no. think. What do you think? It's well, it's ultimately the client who makes the call. It is uh, in, probably in consul in consultation with the agency. It right? is. Yeah. It is, and, and we 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 try to. Uh, you know, stop yeah. that sort of thing from going on because it <laughs> never really looks that good. But you know, let's see. Hmm. Oh, I know. <laughs> Who'd be good for this? <laughs> Eleanor, tell us. Um, give me a. Uh, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for a. Uh, oh my God! I was on the set with. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Have you got one of those stories for me? Oh my goodness! I you have must a, have a, a, a few of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the very first time I was really starstruck it was way at the beginning of my career it was with George Hamilton. Oh, cool! And cool. he looked to me like something out of the, you know, nineteen forties or fifties. Yeah. He really carried this old Hollywood persona with tan behind the ears and yeah. just everything to perfection. <laughs> yeah. He was a hundred percent lovely. But I was quite, uh, I was quite awestruck mm -hmm. uh, by him. Um, so that was that was fun because normally I um, I pride myself on feeling as an equal to everybody, right. right? You just you're just more in the spotlight than I am. Right. Terrible around sports people. I'm a huge sports fan. Oh, so right? if yeah. I run into a sports, so that's when you become a groupie. <laughs> that's when I yeah. you know, fan girl. Yes, yeah. start screaming and saying yeah. hysterical things, and then I walk away and like like yes, who? Any examples? One of my uh, Jock Climey. One time I met him in a Jock Climey, yeah. yeah, former Montreal Alouette. Yeah, nice yeah. guy too. Mm -hmm. Super yeah. nice guy, and he was at a restaurant, and I. I told my, at that time, husband, I said, oh, my God, I have to say something. And I went up to him, and I was just a mess. Yeah. I was like, you're so amazing. You're the one of the best players I've ever seen. And oh, my God, I'm a huge fan. I tried to become a cheerleader so I could be close to you all on the field. And, and then I walked away, and my partner turned to me and said, what was that? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, because I, I never do that at work with whoever yeah. I meet, you know? That's, that's frowned upon, isn't it? I mean, is there... I, I've, yet, I've yet yeah. to be on a movie set. And I want to ask you about that in a second. But um, the uh, is it true what I read sometimes about do not engage with Mr. So-and-so, do not look him directly in the eye, stay away from him? Is there a lot of that in Hollywood? Unfortunately, there has been the occasional performer yeah. that's put on. I think Eddie Murphy was one of those for yeah. a while. I don't know if he's still the same. Um, you know, those are... Particular situations. I don't know what it's like to live in a fishbowl like that, where I, everybody you know wants to harass you and you know ask I've, you a million questions I've, and be your best friend, and you don't know them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm so, not. I don't buy into any of that. I think that's a load of fucking nonsense. <laughs> if you know what, Eleanor, I think if you and you know this, it is so hard. Takes such a, a you know it's such a journey to become a star, and when you choose that life and you pursue that 
level of fame. And we all know that's what they're pursuing. You know, the Will Smiths, the the Eddie Murphys, the, they all were pursuing excellence and performance for sure. And notoriety. Every, and notoriety. And every single one of them knows, and I'm not denying that once you get there, it's difficult to manage, but every single one of them knows that that comes with the territory. You know, to me, that's like me becoming a professional football player and complaining about the bruises on Monday morning. That does that doesn't work. Not for necessarily. Me. So I'm going to slightly disagree because some people, uh, well, I mean, I would say for the most part, most performers uh, are very genuine to the craft, and not everybody expects to be a superstar. Not everybody wants the limelight on them, and well, they, they we know. In the wrong job. Yeah, it comes with the territory. You're in the uh, no. I, yeah, I'm gonna, but I, I'm and, and I will and I will because... say, but I will say also that that pretty much everybody that I've worked with has been respectful Good. and lovely to work with. So Good. I have not had any bad or negative experiences right. in that regard with somebody shutting me on set or something because right. they're a name. So they've, uh, for the most part, been very gracious and lovely to to work with. Um, it's a big responsibility and, you know, it can be annoying when anybody's coming up to you constantly, when you're sure. trying to be in character, yep. you know, when you're shooting film and television, it's always out of sequence. So you're, you're always having to think of the arc of the yeah. story. And if you're shooting the end of it, what was your journey before? Cause you yeah. weren't really in a rehearsal hall doing all that stuff necessarily. This, and, and so you need a lot of focus. This and a I lot agree of, with that's yeah. while you're working. That's when you're Correct. on set and while you're working. Correct. That I understand. Let me do my work. Leave me alone. Yeah. But I've always believed that it takes just as long, it takes just as many seconds to be nice as it does to be an arsehole. So when I see people out in public poo-pooing the public for bothering them, you know, and I know Ted and I, you know, at, at our peak when we were on television and radio, when there was only television and radio around, we know that you know, we experienced some of it. Not everybody was nice. Right. Not everybody had great manners. Not everybody was very timely. Um, you know, some people didn't wait until we were finished eating. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, yeah. And so I, I, I get all of that. But I always said to Ted, hey, it takes takes just as long to be it nice. It does. And, as, and I agree. But, you know, sometimes you're going to catch somebody on a bad day. And, of yeah. course, our industry is going to highlight that. Yeah. They, they love to thrive yeah. on the worst. And that's yeah. unfortunate. because And that can, you know, lead to... Yeah, being I, in that hamster wheel of yeah. like, I, I think you, know, you, me, you and I break. agree because I I agree with you when I I have a respect for the craft, and and when someone's working, I I whatever it is you need to do to get where you need to get for that character, yeah. that's not the time to go. Hey, I loved you and bewitched. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's a hundred year old yeah, seriously. for more sixty year old popular <laughs> culture references. But do you know what I've also found too is that you know our heyday was thirty years ago. Yeah, and now a, yeah. I'll be out on the West Island and someone yeah. will meet me and they'll go, Hey, yeah, didn't you used to be Ted Bird? Yeah. <laughs> or you're Sam Bird's dad? Yeah, no. I'm Sam Bird's dad. Yeah, <laughs> are you still on the radio? And just I'm just gratified that they remember, yeah. you yeah. know. And it's I, uh, there you go. I always got a kick out of it. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I. I remember the first time I was on a billboard and I waited until dusk and I got in the car and I drove to the billboard and I stood under it and I went, holy shit, look at that. Awesome. You know, like that's, yeah. that's kind of part of the joy to me of the, you know, of being in the game. Absolutely. Yeah. My favorite story about lost notoriety is I was doing a comedy show a couple of years ago and Pat Hickey 
who writes for the Montreal Gazette or wrote for the Montreal Gazette, longtime sports writer, and he dabbles in stand-up comedy, and he was on the bill, and uh, he was driving to the show with his wife, and his wife said, who else is on the show tonight? And Pat said, well, Ted Bird is the MC," And she goes, Ted Bird? I thought he died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, it's still here. <laughs> I want to ask you, Eleanor, because now that I'm uh, retired, um, I've been uh, starting to sniff around as an actor member. I've always, uh, on my bucket list, I've always, always wanted to be on a movie set. And... Mm -hmm. Um, I live out in British Columbia where a lot of productions are done, and yep. I'm in the Fraser Valley where um, all of June and July, Hallmark is yeah. doing their 90th yep. Christmas right. production. And and I thought a nice way to get on a movie set and, and just watch what happens, you know, I don't want to be the guy in the movie set going, what are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I would, I would like to... I'd like to be. You want to do some background, yeah, background performance? I could be old the guy on bench. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, could, I or I could be guy who walks by grocery store. Well, yeah. Is that a difficult thing to pursue? You, I, I, you can get an agent that that will uh, represent there background. Are agents for yes. background performers. Yes. Really? Or you can let the uh, casting know that yeah. you are interested to be on their list of background performers. Right. You're an actor member. Right. And uh, that would be how you could get in that way. Is that a hindrance, being an actor member? Are they looking for non-union people no, they, to walk they, by you, camera? No, you get preference of engagement oh, being an right? actor member, absolutely. Oh, so Okay. Yeah. All right. They're long days. Yeah, this is what everybody... But we're appreciative yeah. of the background because they yeah. give the, they for, fill up all the atmosphere of, of what uh, production needs. Well, when you watch a movie that's set in the 40s or 50s, it's fascinating how much that lends to the... The story and the production, yeah. the costumes and the background people, yeah. and you know, I don't know if I'm the only one who watches that, but I, you know, on uh, on particular shows like the the show, I'm I'm not going to do it any justice, but there was a show about the uh, the porters in Montreal. Mm -hmm, yeah, I think it was shot in sh Winnipeg. It was shot in Winnipeg. Yeah, and it was the story of the railroad porters. Yeah, yeah. largely the black yeah. community yeah. served as railroad porters. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful Canadian production. It and, won tons of awards, yeah, and then and CBC pulled it. For well, I think they lost their American funding. Perhaps I think, I think that's, that's what happened. Yeah. It was a series. Yeah, yeah. it, it oh, was. Really? Oh, it was. Yeah. It was just terrific. And what really lent a lot to that production was, I think, the location and the way they dressed up the background. It was like Absolutely. a time machine. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah, so you notice it, and other people will notice yeah. it subliminally. It will right. carry the story. And they're an important piece of uh, of every production. Okay, so maybe I'll be old guy on bench. Why not? There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I could be I could be man doing some man doing crossword puzzle. Yes, I could be that. Yeah, I and, do that all so, the time anyway. Somebody's told me that that you know your your call time can be seven a.m. and you might be sitting there until five thirty. Yeah, yeah. Set days are very very long. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we implement rules and breaks. And right. <laughs> why don't you audition for an actual role? Because yeah. I, you're not a professional actor. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story a about actor. that. I'm an actor member, right. but I'm not an actor. Yeah. I, think, I think I can dabble in voice acting a little bit, but on-screen acting, my uh, former agent sent me to a commercial audition one time. She called me up and she said, I got something that's just right for you. Uh, creepy porn shop owner. Was that her April Fool's joke? No, she thought that I'd be good for it. So she, <laughs> so she sent she sent me the script, and I looked at the script, and I thought, okay, here's how I I can do this 
this way. I think I could be convincing if I do it this way. And so I went to the audition and I did it the way that I thought I could be convincing. And the director said, okay, now try it like this. Mm-hmm. Deer in the headlights. Right. Because I'm not a professionally yeah. trained actor. Well, so thank you I didn't for know, saying that because there I is a difference. Uh, there's a huge difference. Yeah. I didn't know how to take direction. Right. Because I'm not a professionally trained, experienced actor. And that's, you know, well, to me, why, that's a message to anybody who says, oh, anyone can do yeah, acting. All yeah. you got to do is just act. Well, people said that about the radio game. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, because it looks easy or we made it look easy, I guess. But I think that helped uh, us have respect for um that for acting 100 percent 100 percent it looks easy craft. but yeah yeah and and like well you don't work with a script no and which is amazing yeah we work with a script right people but, automatically assume that all performers are great public speakers yeah no and we have to keep saying it's different it yeah. doesn't mean that you can't be good at it everybody could be good at something right yeah. but it's not the same we work with a script um, people yeah. who, well, do, just, who have a, a lot of improv skills are very good at, at uh, free public speaking, but but uh, you, it's, it's like, a talent that you definitely yeah, have. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, well, it's, also, it's, it's a craft like acting. Yeah, it's exactly. something that you it's like hone a good over carpet, time. A good exactly. carpenter. You yeah. know, like over the years, you just get better and better yeah. at it. If, yeah. you, if you, you just work don't bang at the yourself craft. on earth, right. we don't bang ourselves on the thumb as much as we used to. <laughs> yeah. We still do sometimes. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the reasons I never pursued it. Andrea Kenyon called me 30 years ago, 25 years ago. There was a movie shooting in Montreal, and it had something to do with the murder of a radio host. And she thought it would be cool if she gave some of the morning men in the city uh, small, tiny parts in the in the movie. And I was too dumb and and <laughs> and too busy and too and and I agreed to go on this audition, and I didn't prepare myself for it. Uh-huh. And I had a Horrible audition. I didn't memorize the lines. It An was actor just, always prepares. Yeah, and I, and I didn't know that because I didn't know anything about the craft, and that frightened me away from even trying to pursue it. You know, I sometimes think if somebody gave me a line to say, "Hey, Mac," I, <laughs> I, I, could, I do could do that. <laughs> but I, I I've often wondered, and maybe you you can, could play a radio guy though. There you go. I could play a radio guy. And then maybe they would say, we want you to say something along the lines of this. Yeah. And then oh, you would just I improvise yeah, it. I did that once. Okay. I was a sportscaster yeah. on what was the high school show that they shot in Montreal for a while? Student Bodies? Uh, was it Student Bodies? No, it was something else. And I, uh, Larry Day was there. Larry Day was in it. And uh, another guy whose face is right in front of me, and I can't remember his name, and I know you know him. But him and I played sportscasters. But I don't know if you know Something blue, blue something, something blue. Blue Mountain? M- maybe. Was it, was it Blue Mountain? I don't know if you noticed this, but I find when they hire people from our business, you know, a lot of, a lot of news anchors get hired to be fake news anchors. Yeah. And when they're on screen... You can tell they're not very good actors. It's like instead of just being themselves and doing the news actor thing, they're reading a script and they become a little bit more <laughs> <Yeah>. wooden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just... Probably because there's no teleprompter. There you go. I played a, a news anchor person one time, and I, 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 it was I found it one of the mo- most challenging roles I'd ever played because I had to memorize this big, huge paragraph <clears throat> that was so out of context of everything. And very, you know, the way a news thing would yeah. be without a teleprompter. Wow. Yeah. yeah and I, you know, made a mistake in my first three lines. And I was like, oh, 
And I had to go into my own Zen place to be like, don't worry. Cause the, the, the director was like, no, no, that's fine. I want to fix this light and I want to fix yeah. that. And he wasn't concerned at all, but I was like, holy crap, I got to get through this entire monologue without yeah. making any mistakes. Cause there's no cut. And when I left that job, I, I did it. I proceeded after that. I did as many takes as they needed. And I, and I did it clear every single time. I was so proud of myself. Mm-hmm. But when I got to my car, I was like, that was the most stressful experience ever. And I'm pretty sure that a news anchor is reading from a teleprompter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that would probably be the difference that they were like, oh, yeah. my God, now I have to remember all of those words. Can, can you? It's one of the things that fascinates me about acting. Um, one of my favorite speeches in movies of all time and one of my favorite actors of all time is Spencer Tracy. And he gives a speech at the end of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner that is so long and so moving and so emotional and so powerfully delivered. And I think it was his last film appearance. And every time I watch it, after I'm finished crying, I always think to myself, how the hell did he memorize that? You do it. How do you, what's, what's the, well, first of all, when you're, when you're working as an actor constantly, you're auditioning constantly, you know, it's a muscle. So you learn, everybody has a different technique or what happens, but, but it's a, it's a muscle in the brain that, that, you know, it's worked a lot, worked out like going to the gym. And so you're able to absorb words and, and memorize in a much easier fashion than maybe just, you know, if you hadn't been doing it at all. So then you would be starting from a, a different place, but, uh, as a professional performer, of course, he would be able to yeah. to handle that. I just I, I think about it all the time, and it, it reminds me of how frightened I was in high school. You know, I to be or not to be—that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and then flatline. Fine. <laughs> like it's so it to me it would be so hard. It it is hard. Yeah. It's well, not it's it's it's, eh? it's craft. And that's yeah. you know, and that's what is different between craft and talent. Right. And you can't teach talent. You either have it or you don't. And then craft and techniques and skills you pick up along the way and you get better and you hone them and you get better and better That's why as I, you go along. I wanted to ask you that because I, especially with artistic pursuits, I think it's in there. And yeah. you, you either got that you either have little it or you splash yeah. of that that you can polish. Yeah. And work you can at. teach technique, you can yeah. teach skills, you can teach, yeah. you know, different things to help you along the way. Yeah. But, but talent, talent, yeah. I don't think what, you can, you have it or you don't. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments with you, Ted, was when I don't remember what we were sh- shooting. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a comedy special for yeah. Global. And wasn't it the director that said, could you be any more wooden? <laughs> They, they I had to, to do a turn. He had to turn to another camera, and he turned like this. <laughs> that's when we knew. Yeah. <laughs> that's when we knew. Yeah. Can you yeah. be okay. any more wooden? All right. Um, we should, uh, uh, just before we get ready to close, you've been awfully gracious with your time and putting up with our nonsense. It's a pleasure to Eleanor. be here. I grew up with you guys. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I didn't say I liked you guys. I just no. said I grew up with you guys. No, I'm joking. I think you were, what she's you were, saying you were is my she, morning. I put up with you guys. Yes. I think is what yeah. she's trying you to were say. my my morning comfort to hear your voices. And oh, God com- love you. Gave we've, me comfort. So thank um, you. Thank you for those years. We've got a couple of more uh, sponsors to thank. And, and I'll start by saying thanks to Norma and his family because it's a family-run business. It's a, it's a theme with Ted and I. We love family-run businesses because you get to know those families and how they do business. 
And then as a spokesperson, you feel very comfortable telling people, go there. I promise you, you're going to have a nice experience. That's the experience at Matla Bonheur. It's a Quebec-owned, Quebec-run, family-run, family-owned business that largely deals with Canadian suppliers, takes a lot of pride in that, uh, designed beautiful stores that started in a small store on Gwen Boulevard in St. Genevieve uh, over 25 years ago. And I think it's the best place to get a good night's sleep. Not that you go there and sleep, but that you go there and they will help you find a mattress that will change the way you sleep. It's what they do and it's all that they do. When you go to buy a mattress at Matla Bonheur, you're not going to have to lie down on mattresses that are between the couches and the washing machines. That's not what they do. Their whole business is designed around a better night's sleep. Sheets, linens, pillows, mattresses, headboards, um, duvets, anything that you need to make your sleep uh, a lot more uh, accomplished and, and having a better night's rest. The family at Matla Bonheur will make sure that you get that rest. When you walk into the store, you'll be welcomed uh, by uh, a really well-trained employee who will ask you a couple of questions about how you sleep and you like to sleep on your side or your back or whatever and you're looking for a firm mattress, those kinds of questions. And then they'll leave you alone. They won't pressure you, which is another thing I hate about shopping. I don't like having a salesman follow you around nattering behind you. Um, that won't happen. It's a nice experience at one of their many locations across the uh, greater Montreal area. The best place to start is matlabonheur.ca. Terry had mentioned during the uh, the podcast today that my car blew up, and uh, serendipitously for me, I had a loaner from Jaguar Land Rover Laval at the time that my car blew up. My ex-wife was actually uh, driving it uh, when it blew up. It didn't actually blow up. It, it died. The engine died. Uh, so... All of that to say, every time Terry comes into the city to do the podcast, one of our other sponsors, Jaguar Land Rover Laval, gives me a courtesy car to ferry him around town in. And this time around, they gave us uh, a Jag XF30T oh. sedan. What a beautiful, beautiful vehicle is that is. A spectacular vehicle. And uh, we're talking about family-owned businesses. The DiCabellis brothers, Nino and Renato, who own Jaguar Land Rover Laval, a high-end shop, to be sure. And they also own McLaren Montreal, which is even higher end. They are the most down-to-earth people that you would ever meet in your life. And that permeates throughout the dealership. When my car died the other day, I said to the uh, the sales manager, Jaguar Land Rover Laval Thomas, I told him the story, and he said, well, I'm going to help you get something. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I don't have the budget for a, a Jag. Or a Land Rover. He goes, well, what do you, you know, what's your budget? And I told him my budget and it was embarrassing because it's nowhere near what you would spend on a Jaguar or a Land Rover. And he said, I'm going to find you something. He doesn't, he didn't have to do that. No, he doesn't no. have to do that, but he's going to do that because he's a decent Joe and they're all decent people there. It's, you know, the product speaks for itself, Jaguar and Land Rover. Uh, the difference at Jaguar, Land Rover, Laval, what really makes them stand out is what honest and decent people they are. And I would go there before I went to Met La Bonheur because then you could take your new Jag and you can strap your new mattress to the top of it. Yeah, get or, it home. You'd or, save or, on delivery. Or just hold it on the roof. <laughs> Stick your hand out the window and just hold it down on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> That's safe. <laughs> JaguarLaval.com and LandRoverLaval.com. And thanks to Nino and Renato and their marketing director, Adrian McGrath, for continuing to support the podcast.
Eleanor, do you have to uh, run um, for your position again, and will you? I do have to run for it again. It's mm-hmm. a two-year Mandate? term. Yeah. And uh, yes, my name has been thrown in, so our elections come up in a couple of weeks. Wow, that's it's short. That's a short run, isn't it? It Two is years a very fast. short run. I yeah. threw my name in again because there was so much to learn, and right. I took on so much in these last two years that I would love another run at it. But we'll see. Are the how do you know if the members are happy? Well, we have a lot of members suffering right now because of oh, our dispute. Right, right. right. They have uh, lost an income, and it's unconscionable that the ICA has locked them out for. Uh, 13 months now. Wow. So That's that crazy. is making a lot of our membership very unhappy. Yeah. But we do strive with each of our agreements to come up with, with good stuff, with increases in our wages, and, and making sure that our workplace is safe and, and good. And so we do strive always to make our membership happy, and we hope that we get out of this dispute ASAP. So we are working on it daily. Vote Eleanor. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not my vote. <laughs> Eleanor, thank you. Um, you've been a terrific guest. It was a lot of fun chatting and, and debating, and uh, you really opened a, a, a window for, you know, not just people who are performers, but I think people who don't know anything about the, the business. You awesome. Know, you open the door and, and show people behind the, the, behind the door. It's, it was nice of you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. Uh, no, listen. Twitch sheet? Oh, oh, the tweet sheet. Oh, for God's yeah. sake. We almost forgot about the tweet sheet. What and would I, we do without I curated the this specifically for Eleanor. For I know. And yes, what See, would we do without this? This is how fascinating you were. We got completely carried away <laughs> and I forgot about it. What's the yeah. tweet Thanks sheet? To Are you on Twitter? No Poseidon. Yes. Poseidon, thank you. No problem. He's, I, uh, he's the man. He is the man. Yes. Uh, on my morning radio program on Light 1067, <laughs> which I'm sure you listen to every sure. morning from 5.30 to 9, <laughs> I do something called the tweet sheet, where I take three funny, what I think are funny tweets, and I share them with the audience. And uh, on this program, because uh, we're not uh, restricted by broadcast regulations, we get the saltier tweets, uh-huh. and we use them. We are not using those in this instance, however, because you are a dog person. Yes. And... I know that you lost your beloved Walter recently. Yes, I did. And your beloved Humphrey uh, as well. Both mm-hmm. Dachshunds, is that how you yep. pronounce it? Yeah. Yep. Dachshunds. Yeah. Yep. And uh, do you have any dogs now? or are you? Do- I do. I still have two dogs. Oh, okay. Good. good. I have, I, I have, sh- sorry. I have Scooter that I rescued just before uh, COVID and Ginger that I inherited from a friend whose mother passed away. I, I was just going to say one of the things I love about that story, Eleanor, is the rescue part. Um you rescue senior senior animals, senior dogs that, too. That yeah. makes yeah. me cry because yeah. that you know they deserve to have a. And I have a little lovebird oh. named Tony that I found on my street. Oh, he was just walking around. Really? Yeah. In- injured? He yeah he had a, a bashed in beak and oh. something with his wing and he was just munching on a piece of grass and I was like, well, you're awful beautiful to be outside here. I don't think you belong here. And so I scooped him up. Went everywhere around the neighborhood trying to look for who could possibly be the right. owner. All the vets and the shops, and they were like, hey, crazy lady, this dog, <laughs> this this bird is yours. So, so it was not a wild bird. It was... No, they yeah. said it, 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 the wings weren't clipped, so he could have flown in from anywhere. They were like, oh. he could have flown in from Albany. Who knows? So um, I had no choice but to keep him. My sister and I pinky swore we would never get birds as pets because we grew up with birds. 
and we didn't have sociable birds. So we were like, well, this is crazy. They're dirty. Like they're, they're trapped in a cage. We thought the whole thing was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, But Tony is fully trained and he behaves exactly like the dogs. And he spends most of his day on my shoulder and he runs free. We clip his wings so that he doesn't fly Uh, away and get lost. So he's a, but he stampers around the house and that's cool. Yeah. He eats out of the dog bowls and they, and he bathes in their water bowl, and he puts up and do with they, them. Do they get on with him? They do, oh, nice. very much so. And his behavior has now, it's a lovebird, so they're supposed oh. to be in French. It's inseparable. They're supposed mm-hmm. to have two. But the vet said that I could be his inseparable. But he, uh, the dogs are his inseparable well, as well. So nice? he, he mimics their sweet. behavior. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I've curated this tweet sheet uh, with you in mind. They're all okay. dog-related okay. tweets, okay? So uh, right. here we go. We usually do Just, three. Uh, one second, because i got to bring it up for the people at home as well. Okay. okay. Thank you. Here's the first one from at mom, though. Me. In or out? Dog. Yep. Me. Which one? Dog. You bet. <laughs> that pretty much sums up my life. <laughs> so true, right? Very true. From at Cashman Actor, in an ideal world, dogs would be in charge. Dog mayors, doggy teachers, the puppy bowl would be the actual Super Bowl. <laughs> and us, we'd be paraded around in some Great Danes designer purse in stupid bee costumes on TikTok. And most crucially, we'd be the goodest of boys. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that Good great? One. Now, if you're on Twitter, you must follow this account. Christopher uh, Ashman? No, no, the next one. Okay. Thoughts of dog? Okay. Do you know oh, thoughts no, of dog? I don't. Oh, Eleanor. Okay. Uh, thoughts of dog are at dog feelings. <laughs> <laughs> the human wiped away my eye booger only to put it back onto me. Pet it back onto me. I have never experienced such betrayal. That's true. It's very true. And thoughts of dog also does great lists. So we've added a bonus tweet, one of his lists. Goob morning. I've made a list of the things I'd like to happen today. Three, pancakes. Nine, nice walk with limited running. Yes. Five, nap in the sun. Five, <laughs> pancakes. Two, a little snuggle. Yeah, very good. Isn't that great? You've yeah, got to follow this that. This person Eleanor. talks yeah. dog for sure. He's got, or she, I don't know if it's he or she, millions of followers. I don't know exactly well, how many million, but I think it's three point okay, well, that, million that's... followers. Yeah. Thoughts of dog or at dog underscore feelings. Are you on Twitter? I am. You are. Okay. Uh, What's your account, Eleanor? Um, You want to follow? Or do you not want to tell us? Okay. You don't have to. That's all right. We'll Google Eleanor. Yeah, we'll find it. Eleanor Noble. It's Eleanor Noble. Okay. CLO, I believe. (laughs) Well, thanks again for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great delight to have you. Yeah, it was good fun. It was a great... It was, Karen. I agree 100%. I know exactly what he was trying to say. There are addiction classes that you can take if you want to pursue your career. That's the great thing about background (laughs) performance. You don't have to say anything. There you go. There you go. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada, delivering more for small businesses in Canada. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.